welcome back to the Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and we're going to listen now to part two of my interview. Uh, joining me in part two, we have John Angles, Kelly Johnson, Giselle Johnson, and David Ritz, representing campuses from Vancouver to Quebec. Uh, let's jump right back in right now. You think we're heading into a uh, new age of conscience, uh, you know, where uh, people are uh, becoming much more sensitive in their conscience to what they believe is right and wrong. Uh, it seems like uh, with, with the uh, polarization happening around many, many things that uh, what a person holds in their conscience uh, is is becoming uh, how how can I say it? Uh, people are owning their stuff more, I- including Christians. You know, so if it's a question about can I live with with my partner or what do I do if I'm same sex attracted? You know, all the uh, the things that um, normally we would have had uh, certain stock answers for uh, growing up in the church, but um, people in the church and people outside the church, I feel like uh, there's uh, the, the buttons are being pushed everywhere to, to, to make people ask these questions about um, what is right and what is wrong. Or what are you finding in, in the population that you deal with? Is there a sharpening of conscience or a dulling or both? <laughs> I would probably say uh, both. I think you have, uh, we're living in a very, um, you know, sound bite-ish world. And so um, I don't think in some ways we're preparing um, ourselves to engage with matters of conscience in the way that we should. And so that is the challenge, I think, of part of our discipleship is learning how to think through some of those issues and how to tap into the different resources and, and not just get in a polarized stance and using a, you know, throwing out something on uh, on TikTok or Instagram or whatever to to argue our point um, if we haven't really thought through it well. So I think that is a big challenge ongoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, Kelly. There's with the cancel culture and really uh, there are certain there are certain things that if you stand for you you will get outed and you'll get unfriended unfriended you know on social media i mean i just had a friend uh post a few days ago uh about the trucker convoy <laughs> if you're for the trucker convoy let me know and i'm unfriending you right now and even though you know there's controversial issues like that uh for us as christians uh, we've got to be able to find that middle ground of being able to have conversation on both sides you know, and one that uh, is, is not charged with hate uh, and is filled with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, to have, to have conversations that are, are not um, in the context of, of where our culture is going. And that's where Jesus would find himself in between the Sadducees and Pharisees, you know, polar opposites. And and what he would say, you know, would, would get them both arguing with each other <laughs> from time to time. 
not that you know we want to necessarily uh, throw gasoline on the situation, but it's a challenge for us, I think, uh, as leaders to lead our students in such a way that they know how to engage political discussions, you know, without creating a firestorm, uh, you know, without you know getting themselves canceled and outed on you know their university Facebook page or whatever. Uh, and so it's really, I think, on us to to do the work of modeling it, but also informing ourselves of, of how we can you know, lead our students in a positive direction in this area of such polarization. That, sorry, I was just gonna say, I don't, I don't think we should be shying away from the, the tricky conversations either, where there is some sort of nirvana middle ground uh, there, because sometimes people do need to be poked and prodded, but I agree, we have to approach them uh, fairly and, uh, and, and, but, Sometimes we will pay the consequences of, uh, of provoking people's consciences. It, it's been a conversation I've had with a, f a few students about that, where like, just turn around and been like, so how long have you spent in prayer for a particular politician that you don't particularly care for? Like how many, how, how many times, like, I remember first moving here to Quebec and Pauline Marois was in power and very polarizing person, very, very polarizing and very difficult as an anglophone to live in Quebec under 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 that and uh being angry and uh all this kind of stuff and I remember being in a prayer meeting and someone just really earnestly prayed for her like beyond like really caring for her and it just deeply convicted me because it's like if I'm not willing to pray for her that way then I probably shouldn't be complaining um, and, and so I, I've been able to like incorporate that in my conversations with students, especially when it comes around political things that they're upset about. Um, and I think like it's, it's, I think with students and younger, younger generational folks, it's important to acknowledge your biases and to acknowledge like where you, you're probably blind and where you, you probably don't see it the same way that they do. Um, and, and where, you know, usually I'm like, well, let's be honest, like I'm from Alberta, <laughs> like I probably carry some things with me, but now I live in Quebec. So like I, my, my, my views have changed. Here's how they've changed. Here's why they've changed. But like, honestly, like, uh, like with Christians, it's like, man, like, let's keep our eyes focused on him. Let's keep our, I, and, and Jesus said to like, they will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And so often it's like, whatever we believe in, our culture desperately needs to be able to see us engaging in loving conversations and not tearing each other down. So somehow we need to figure that out. Huge amen to that. You know, are, are any of you seeing uh, faculty or students or groups uh, on campus that are uh, being uh, muscled out or canceled and and some of that those kind of political maneuverings to uh, you know disempower um, what somebody else perceives as a threat are you are you seeing any of that going on in in uh, your institutions Yeah, I, I had a I had a student leader um, who had to appear before the dean um, as a result of 
uh, something that he he said on a YouTube uh, channel that he was a part of. Something he had said like a couple of years prior to like 20 minutes into his sermon. So clearly someone was searching and looking. And so he had to have an interview with the dean just to, how are you, how, how is this going to affect your future employment? Are you going to be objective? Um, was able to engage in that kind of conversation. So, um, which is, which is highly, highly unfortunate. Yeah, there's a well-known case um, in Saskatchewan at a campus that uh, university uh, group got kicked off campus. Not, not one of our groups, but uh, friends of ours that um, you know, we affiliate with and partner with on other campuses. But uh, it was a tough road for them. And, you know, and they had to appeal the decision of the, the student union um, because they got de-ratified as a student club. And uh, so there was a threat of litigation and, um, and you know, the, the university backed off, it, off the uh, situation. And so that group is, is actually back on campus. But, you know, I think there's, there's those little brush fires that uh, can pop up around Canada and there's been other ones as well. But uh, it's something that, you know, we, we don't take for granted being on campus. Uh, it's a gift. And our heart really is to have the posture of a servant and ask the question, how can, how can we serve this institution? How can we be contributors rather than consumers? And I think once the, the, the university administration gets to meet a face uh, to who we are on campus and what we represent, uh, then trust can be built. And when the university admin knows that, hey, we're, we're, bringing, we're, we're contributing, there is no hidden agenda here, uh, that we have great favor on several campuses as a result of that. Yeah, I'd like to just jump in there too, Kevin, because I think there is a perception sometimes in our churches that, oh, you go to campus, you're going to lose your faith, or they're really opposed to you. But uh, I think we need to sometimes give uh, university administration or student union administration more uh, credit that they're actually wanting the best for their students. They're wanting to be protective as well. Uh, as people, as John said, you know, we're following the suffering servant. So here's someone who who went to the cross, right? Uh, the people of the day, political and religious leaders, uh, put him to put him to death. Um, now, I think if we come with that posture that John was talking about, it serves us very well because we are there wanting the flourishing of our campuses, wanting the flourishing of our individuals, whether they're Christian or not. I, I think there have been also groups that have come on campus and you know try to win the campus to whatever their faith uh, leaning is and they should be de-ratified or they should be kicked off campus or, you know, the manner in which they've done things has not been good. And that's not just Christian groups. It's uh, any groups. And so I think yeah. we have to, to recognize sometimes people don't always do it uh, in the right way. Um, so if you're coming onto the campus, as John and David have both said, uh, in a way where you're wanting to serve uh, for the benefit of all, I think, administration recognizes that so it's an ongoing conversation and relationship that needs to be developed the uh <clears throat> philosopher uh, derrida jacques derrida i would say would be considered uh one of the architects of uh, deconstruction theory uh 
And uh, he had uh, a lot of uh, things that he wrote and taught about deconstruction. Um, three key features that emerged from Derrida's work as making uh, deconstruction possible. Uh, number one, the inherent desire in people to have a center or a fo focal point to, to structure their understanding. And uh, he calls that uh, logocentrism. We would get the idea of logos from logocentrism. Uh, second, the uh, reduction of meaning to set definitions that are committed to writing. Uh, in other words, nothing beyond the text. Uh, and finally, how the reduction of meaning to writing uh, captures opposition within that concept itself. Uh, so the, the, the whole uh, philosophy of deconstruction is, is an ongoing process of questioning the accepted basis of meaning. Uh, it, it's a... Uh, uh, a tool that prevails in the dismantling of religion, of history, uh, politics, uh, patriarchy, race theory, capitalism, gender, on down the line. And as people are looking at how they view themselves and, and the world around them, uh, and certainly progressive Christianity is, is ripe with uh, deconstruction and uh, saw many of our campuses and, and many, maybe even some of our churches or many churches. So how do Christ followers position themselves in the politics, in the debates, and the prevailing values of the deconstruction milieu? You know, in other words, uh, if, if everything is being dismantled, if everything is being deinstitutionalized and, and, and taken apart, uh, what's, what's the call for the follower of Jesus in the midst of that? And, and, and are there things that uh, are healthy for us to deconstruct? And uh, having deconstructed maybe certain things, uh, where do you go from there? I, I like I, I like to think of you know uh, I have this picture in my mind of somebody taking apart uh, a motorcycle and laying the parts all around the garage floor because they're deconstructing the motorcycle, uh, but then ending up with a, a garage floor full of parts and trying to remember how do we put this back together. In a, in a meaningful way. Um, I don't know if everybody has thought about the reconstruction of something that works, something that, that helps. Um, what, what are your thoughts on uh, following Jesus in, in, this, uh, in this environment that we're living in? It's a really interesting question. <laughs> I'm glad you unpacked it because when I looked at it on this paper, I'm like, oh, we figured that out. We'll be we'll be speakers for a long time. <laughs> but uh, you're not. in university. You're supposed to be. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, sometimes I feel like a pretender. But uh, anyways, uh, my cousin, who also grew up in Mesnat, Alberta, moved to B.C. 
And one time he made the post, he's like, I don't know who I am anymore. I'm too liberal for my conservative friends and I'm too conservative for my liberal friends. And I burst out laughing because I'm like, that's how I feel living in Quebec. Um, and like, like deconstructing for me, like I grew up with a strong bias towards Quebec, strong bias towards French Quebecers. Um, largely, I didn't know very many. I knew like one or two families. But then moving here and beginning to hear like all of the surrounding like cultural things that were happening, the oppression from the government and from the church, um, legitimate, like you're not getting a managerial position if your name is Pierre. So it's like, like, okay, so there was a legitimate reason for all of these things to happening. And it, it changed my perspective and, and, and changed my, my heart and the conversation and how I approach Quebecers and approach Quebec and and what I think about learning French in Alberta in in school it completely shifted and changed my perspective to a very different thing and like being here talking with people about the oil sands in Alberta is always an interesting topic so it's like yeah I know people who work in that industry and like their lives are affected by certain things so in some, some ways I'd say, let's all just like move around to different parts of Canada for a period of a couple of years and change our perspectives. That's probably expensive and not necessarily practical, but I think it really is important to like recognize like where, where are my blind spots? Like, like, especially in conversations now, like how much, uh, how much am I mixing my like viewpoint politically with my theological views and spiritual views that actually shouldn't be interspersed. If I think it's time for civil disobedience, then I think it's time for civil disobedience as a Canadian, not as a Christian. You know what I mean? Like where I, I think sometimes we have to try and parse some of that out a little bit. And I haven't, wasn't really able to see that until I like was completely displaced out of my culture of origin. And then I can look back in and I'm like, oh man, okay, so this is what it's, this is what it's like. Um, so I, I think that kind of, that's, that's how I, how I think of the, the answer to that. Yeah, politics, debates, uh, prevailing values, you know, and, and uh, with all the deconstruction that's happening, it was kind of funny that I mentioned Derrida as an architect of deconstructionism. <laughs> an architect is somebody who designs and, and builds something. And maybe that's an oxymoron to talk about an architect of deconstruction. But um, how are people doing in putting the parts together after they've dismantled? What are you seeing around, around the country in some of your other settings? For myself, uh, the reconstruction, just realizing that we're always deconstructing. Uh, the New Testament was full of deconstructing uh, what had gone on before. And, um, and so I think one of the most positive ways that I see people reconstructing is when they're doing it intentionally with, with others. So that's through our small groups, through, uh, you know, it's the question time there that the Tough question Tuesdays or whatever that Giselle talked about. Uh, Jesus is not, uh, God isn't afraid of our questions. You know, come let us reason together. Um, there's a lot, I think if we can nurture that curiosity 
and the approach of uh, engagement, but doing it together and saying that, you know, like I think somebody's also talked, you know, well, we don't really know the answer to that, but let's, let's look at it together. Um, so I think doing it in community is one of the great uh, benefits of campus life. Um, whether, you know, you're mixing uh, engineering students and business students together, or arts and uh, nursing students or the medical students. So I think there are amazing benefits that we have on campus to kind of uh, wrestle together with some of these things and not just throw out our critiques and, and let them kind of land there or people be disenchanted, but to, uh, to come together as believers to say, um, this is one of the great opportunities we have to wrestle and to, I even remember uh, just thinking of a young woman who's uh, 20 years ago, I think we were reading Yancey's, uh, one of his books on, I'm not sure if it was disappointment or uh, something around meaning, but uh, he had the quote, if there was no room for doubt, there's no room for God. And we don't want to have people who are just so locked into this is the way it is and they're not using their minds and they're not curious and engaging with with differences. So uh, yeah, campus is a great place to not only deconstruct, but to reconstruct uh, you know, communities that are seeking to be faithful. Yeah, I think, I think you're hitting on something really important there, Kelly, the, the place of humble community, right? Where we learn together. Um, you know, if, if you only listen to the monologues uh, without dialogue, you can become an ideologue and uh, be very, uh, very disconnected from, from reality in, in some respects. And, and I love what David said too about, David Ritz about, uh, you know, uh, maybe we should all just move around the country every couple of years and, and uh, live in, in a different environment to get a different perspective. And uh, that, that yields a lot of understanding. Uh, seems like uh, the uh, the words of the scripture ring true about that we need to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And um, um, I'm I'm kind of curious too about uh, the um, uh, kind of curious too about uh, uh, the last couple of years in in dealing with uh, COVID restrictions. Um, Many of you have lived through a transition to online learning, um, a gutting of campus life uh, in many instances, um, students not having dorm life or social events, uh, in-person learning, uh, the opportunity even to engage with uh, some of you in, in your campus ministries. How has that impacted how you work with with students and uh if this is the year that all of these restrictions wind down and we get back to uh more of a uh, a normal experience of uh learning how how will these years have changed how we do school and how you do ministry um what 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 was the spirit saying to you during this past couple of years about the road ahead? I, I think community engagement will, will really go high. <laughs> I think, I think uh, when, I, when we did our the SAGEP event, you know, these are 18, 18 19 year olds. Um, 
I saw an interaction with our volunteers at the event, unlike what I had seen at other events, where just really craving like people and relationship and like just, I mean, I had one guy confess <laughs> his, his destroying of couches on the campus and apologizing me <laughs> to me for it. And I was like, it's okay, man. Like, no, I'm really sorry. Like, okay, you're forgiven my son. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but just a real, like, like a genuine, like, I want to get to know you. I want to know, like, like, Hey, physical people, this is amazing, you know? And I, I think it'll, it'll help be able to provide this space for, for community. And I, I think like, I hope that there'll be a lot less of this in person and, and a lot more like face-to-face. I, I think someone had said in their youth ministry, they were seeing students that weren't even getting social media uh, profiles and not even getting smartphones anymore opting to just be completely disconnected because it's just so much online that they're just like, I'm done. So it, it'll be interesting to see how, how that changes and shapes ministry in the next little while and to see like how that changes things. I think we all thought it would be cool to do online stuff before COVID and then after it's like, if we don't do Zoom again, I won't be upset. So. <laughs> It, has it been a hard couple of years for for all of you? How how have you made it through? And uh, and again, back to this question of how do you envision the future being different when when there is a regathering if, and, a, and more of an in in person face to face? Yeah, so for our campus at Ryerson, um, we've been shut down since March 13th, 2020, uh, and we have not been on campus ever since. Um, students just regained access to the campus as of January 31st, and that is also in a staggered kind of relaunch. Some students are returning to campus. Um, so the fourth years and third years are coming back, and it, it, we joke um, a, a lot about um how some students don't even know what's going on themselves. Some, some programs have said it's up to the teacher, it's up to the professor on what classes will return in person. So, uh, and at what capacity for the remainder of the semester. So us being online for the last um, two years, <laughs> almost two years has been very difficult and challenging uh, in some ways, um, you know, reaching new students when we had campus um, you know, campus fair day when students would just come to your desk and reach you. Now we have to, you know, be marketers and video pr producers and content uh, creators and graphic designers and just to reach students and let them know like, hey, we're here um, and just utilizing those skills. And some of us are like, yeah, well, I, I didn't come from a traditional background in ministry. So I was in Crave Industries and I'm like, oh, this is my bread and butter. Uh, <laughs> I love marketing. I love content creation. Whereas, you know, for some, this could have been a very um, hard struggle to learn and adapt and, and try to do video production and, and Zoom and online. So I can see that there's, there was a lot of challenges. We just took it as uh, a challenge that we were willing to take. Um, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. We knew our numbers would drop. Uh, and, and so it did. We very much had a small group of core people that uh, students who come back regularly. Um, so we've done the Zoom. We've, we actually have done so many different things online, just trying to keep it fresh and, and uh, 
uh, new that it's 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 funny how many things we've tried. We've done Instagram Live, we've done YouTube Live, we've done YouTube Premiere, where you just drop the video um, for our services, and and even just our right now instead of using Zoom, we've actually used Gather for our just our weekly living rooms, which is our Bible studies and our and just our socials. Um, and we actually we just did a social last or like a couple weeks ago. Um, and we were just doing a games kind of night on online and we were just hanging out and we had someone who figured out how to embed old school. I'm talking about like bootleg arcade games, like old school when Mario wasn't even online, they found a bootleg version and put it on this website. And there were students who were hanging out like long before the event ended 30 minutes, just playing, hanging out with each other. And Dave and I just laughed because we're like, they could play this on their own. Like they don't need to be here, but what they're really craving is the community. What they're really craving is being with us. And it was honestly so honoring to, for that students felt like they could be here and feel like we are a family, we're their friends and just hang out and not feel like they, they could go. Because in person, it's a lot harder to just leave a, a, <laughs> a gathering that you're not really feeling. Whereas online, you can just click the exit button and just say, I lost connection. So sorry, I couldn't come back on. So we, we know you heard those excuses. Uh, <laughs> so um, yeah, it's just, so just kind of just trying to keep things fresh online has been challenging, but also um, we've noticed that students are yearning for that connection. So kind of maintaining uh, spaces where they can do that um, online has been, uh, has been huge. With Ryerson being a commuter school and the future being unknown, I think COVID has proven to us that we can't just rely on in-person connections. We have to kind of continue to make a space for um, us reaching students online. So online presence is going to maintain in some capacity, whether we are just live streaming our services, whether we are doing offering um, our living room studies uh, online as well. Those, those are going to continue to expand because we know that uh, schools are going to try to adapt because COVID could happen, something like COVID could happen again. So how do we, um, you know, stay ahead of the curve in a sense? So, um, yeah, so one of the things that we're continuing to think about is how do we do that and how do we uh, still engage a population of students that might do distance learning in the future? I think uh, for any of you that are married, um, you remember the difference it was between dating that person and then actually um, living in the same house together and learning to do life together. And uh, as, as a young couple or newlyweds, you had uh, a, an adaptation of how you live to, to now live in this relationship with this person. And then if you've had the experience of having children, uh, then you know that uh, there's much more that is demanded of you and expected of you and, and a reorientation of your life. And um, it seems to me like uh, in, in the, the COVID years, we are um, learning an adaptation in our relationships. We are learning that uh, it's not the same as when we were, um, you know, using that, that analogy. Uh, it's, it's not the same as when we were just dating. It's not the same as before we had kids. There are new responsibilities. There are new pressures, um, new things to grow into. And uh, 
Well, none of us are, are futurists. Um, I think it's, uh, it's always an interesting question to, be, to at least be thinking, um, where is this leading us and, and how are we going to live differently on the other side of this? Um, so really appreciate uh, uh, all of you and, and your openness to, to that kind of that question. John, I think you had something on, on your mind there. Oh, I was just thinking about, you know, what's on the other side of this pandemic? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think from, from really what I've been reading and the, the podcasts I've been listening to uh, and the sense I've had since the very beginning of the pandemic is that there's going to be such a, a yearning and longing for community uh, among this generation like we've never seen. Uh, you know, historically, you might call that revival. Um, mm -hmm. It, it's something that I don't think we should be surprised at uh, that could happen. Back in the, the era of the Spanish flu, the, the, you know, in the 1918, 1920, 21, right in there, the, the 1920s were known for, for being the roaring 20s uh, right after the pandemic. We, we could be in a similar spot. Um, there, there would be both good and bad with the roaring 20s <laughs> you know and we can we can imagine what that could be about but i think some of the things that could happen after the pandemic from what i've been reading about is that you know there's gonna there's gonna be a, a surge in probably job opportunities and, and people getting jobs again you know the economy could could turn around i mean this is best case scenario right um but looking at the past pandemic you know there's there's a huge mass of savings happening financially right now. Uh, the, the stat I read was that um, in 2020, there was about 18, uh, no, in, in 2019, Canadians had saved $18 billion. In the pandemic in 2021, it had gone up to 212 billion. So from 18 to 212? 212. Wow. And so there's a lot of capital that is uh, being built up. And I think there's opportunities uh, at that level, you know, for the church and for missions and for generosity that uh, rather than hoarding, you know, uh, and I think there's, uh, uh, from what I've been reading, that's one of the takeaways from the last pandemic is that people became a lot more frugal <laughs> out of fear uh, you know, they saved all they could. There's just scratching everything together that they could. And, you know, the great generation is kind of known as, as like the, the frugal generation. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this has an opportunity for us, I think, as we come out of the pandemic uh, for something, you know, for the kingdom of God, that could just be very good. Um, so, you know, on the other side of the pandemic, short of a, a world war or something, uh, there are, there are, I think, some things that, that God will bring us to. Um, it could be very good as well. As you think about the students that you interact with over, uh, say, on average, a four or five year um, span, and uh, they graduate, they move on into uh, their life wherever that takes them. 
uh, many of them move out of out of city, out of country, uh, all over the world. Uh, and and you have these unique um, relationships with uh, students that uh, you're helping them to form uh, a spiritual identity and and some spiritual practices. Um, what do you uh, what do you think is in store? Uh, after they've spent four years with you. Uh, and, I, and I'm not saying that any of you are their savior, you know, but in the role that you've played, what do you hope for in terms of moving on in their life? What do you hope that they gain from the time that they were involved or connected uh, to your campus ministry? I think that the like to your earlier question about like is campus ministry just an extension of youth ministry well hopefully if we get them and they move on that's not the mentality when they leave but instead of instead of being consumers and coming to the buffet of whatever community or whatever place and whatever career that they see that their their careers are mission field that they're uniquely placed by god to be politicians, to be doctors, to be lawyers, to be philosophers, to be teachers, whatever, that, that God has given them the gifts to, to function and that they don't, you know, even going to the, the, the city within a city, that they don't have that mentality wherever life or the Lord or the spirit directs them, that they get to actually contribute and um, live in the land and make gardens and if the Lord chooses for them to have families that grow up to be disciple making disciples and that they get to be a blessing um, to the churches and the communities that they find themselves in, in a posture of what can I do to help rather than like, what kind of services do you offer at this church? Um, uh, some of them maybe can be part of church plants in like closed countries or especially like with international students. I mean, how amazing would it be to see a mission force of the, 100,000 international students that come to Canada and that can be sent out into the ends of the world. Like what an incredible vision for ministry that, that, that could be. So that would be, that's, and here, like I would love to see Quebecers meet Jesus and become a mission sending force to the Francophone world that so desperately needs gospel presence in the French speaking countries of Africa, in Belgium, in France, in the, like in Switzerland and those kinds of places that need um, missionary presence and gospel presence there. So, hmm. some of some of you got to where you are because uh, somebody else was on campus to 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 nudge you along in in your faith journey, and uh, and now you're uh, doing doing something uh, very much alike and. Uh, so thinking about where they're going, yeah, what, what are you hoping for? Or maybe one, one last question here. Um, let's, uh, let, why don't you just uh, think about uh, maybe a miracle or two that you've experienced uh, with your students? Uh, somebody who's uh, had a very radical life shift or um, 
seen God move in their life in a, in an unexpected and, and a powerful way. Anybody got a, a miracle story that you want to share? I can share one. Um, so we had, uh, this is when we were on campus actually, but this connection kind of extends to, to today. Um, so when we were on campus, we had uh, one of our student leaders who was serving as you know worship leader and he was on his way to camp, uh, on his way to our, our service to, to prepare. And he, uh, he ended up meeting with a friend who was a high school friend um, that he hadn't seen and didn't even know uh, that was at Ryerson at the exact same time as well in the same year and they connected and he was like hey where are you going and he's like I'm heading to Lifeline you should come and he was like okay sure and so that kind of is the beginning of that story but this student had um, you know kind of lost his faith and on on the journey to coming to um, to Canada and you know and and him moving here and um I kind of met with the wrong type of friends and friends groups and, and, and had this friend at, that was one of our student leaders, but they kind of lost contact. And so, you know, kind of when you lose your Christian group, then you kind of, sometimes you kind of lose your faith at the same time to use your community. And so for, for him, that was the case. And, um, he came to lifeline and, and hadn't stopped coming since and started to, we didn't even know his full story until it unpacked later on. And now he's in a, uh, a master's program at, 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 at Ryerson and so much so forth that, that this man had lost his faith, came to, to, came to Lifeline, started to regain his faith back. And we have no clue what's going on. Um, he graduated and was commuting from Saint, uh, from, from Scarborough to St. Catharines to go to, uh, to go to um, his job, which is crazy. It's a massive distance <laughs> um, going two, two and a half hours for work. And, would stop and make the opportunity to come to Lifeline and, 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 and would say, hey, is Lifeline meeting up this week? And, and he would come in on those days as well. And just the fact that, you know, someone who would make that long commute for work would make the excuse, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I don't have the energy, I'm too busy, but made time to come out to his, to his church as he has in his own words, um, which is awesome because we had no clue if he was connecting to another church or kind of getting more. This person was very shy, didn't say much. So we didn't really know much of his story until, you know, relationships started to build a lot, a lot more and, and getting to know him, finding out that Lifeline was his church, the only place that he was connecting and the only place that he had regained his faith. Um, in God and 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 sure sure enough, this, this student is now a master's student at, at Ryerson and still connects as an alumni. Um, we just met with him last night and talking about how to engage his uh, Muslim friends and talk about you know faith and how to talk about how you know uh, you know Jesus is the is the only way and and um, it was really cool just hearing his story and um, so when you say where do you see this going, I think. Um, one, one of the key things for us is empowering our students to be, um, to be leaders in their own respects, to, to not have to depend on their pastor to show up and kind of teach and tell them exactly what they need to know, the spoon feed. One of the, the things that we say at Lifeline, we want them to chew on scripture themselves to like, you know, taste and see the Lord is good, but also to, to read and, and, and mull on scripture and to, to learn about God for themselves. Of course, community is important to do it in community and to iron as iron sharpens iron, but also to to be empowered that they can also share and be a witness to their friends and to their family. So 
and and as you said, David Ritz, in in their respects of careers, you know, when they go into the workplace, how did they take Jesus with them? You know, I think that we think of spiritual life. I think sometimes students think of spiritual life as something separate that happens on their Tuesdays or their Sundays, and that's their spiritual group. But spiritual formation is everything, their entire bodies. And how do we live out Christ in our every single day that brings people in? It's attraction, attractional that it's so salty that people want more. Uh, and so that's what we want students to kind of leave with from Lifeline is to, to be salt, like literally salt in their in their respects, wherever they go. And if they're going to be engineers or uh, nurses, social workers, journalists, creative content creators, how do they bring Jesus with them and not put it on the side um, without being, as in our world right now, too pushy or, or wanting to be um, so accommodating or so accepting of everybody else, but neglecting that, you know, uh, their faith and, um, and where they stand. And so empowering them to be one leaders in, in their respect, but also to take and bring Jesus into their lives so that others can taste and see that the Lord is good. That's excellent. Miracles on campus. Who's, who's got another story? Well, I've got a few stories, but hey, which one should I pick? <laughs> Been doing this for 38 years, <laughs> long time. Um, but I, I think of uh, a former apprentice. Uh, we have uh, apprentices that go through campus ministry training and, and discern, um, you know, where the Lord may be taking them. And in the in the apprenticeship, they uh, uh, do a head, hands, and hearts approach to ministry. So they get the practical skills, uh, and they also get practical theology and a mentor, you know, to help them along. So think of the apprentice, uh, as I say that, you know, you, we all have our, we all have that in our mind. Uh, but a guy named Kieran uh, came to the campus group at UBC as an atheist. So I'm going back in time now because Kieran was the apprentice that I'm referring to. So as a student, Kieran came to the community and we talked about the importance of community and he began to see what Christianity was all about. He began to see what Christians were like up close and personal. He had his ideas about God not existing. And uh, through, the, through the semester that he was at school through the year, um, he came to Christ. And after he graduated, he took a year of uh, doing the apprenticeship with us. And uh, now he's uh, teaching uh, in Vancouver and, and thriving in his faith, connected with the church, with a local church. But that's a miracle, huh? And, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of what, that's really what we live for, uh, is, is being able to see those kinds of stories and, and many others that, like what Giselle just which mentioned. So, um, fantastic, fantastic. I think uh, just uh, I think Giselle mentioned, you know, sometimes it's the quiet students who uh, find a, a point of connection. And uh, for myself, through UCM uh, in Calgary here, we have tried to find opportunities for students to take uh, ownership of some area or engagement. And uh, so seeing some of the quiet students do that, but even uh, one of our ones just in the last few years that uh, has been a real delight and somebody who's actually shaped our ministry a fair bit is somebody who had 
uh, been in a same-sex relationship and uh, also had done a little run up more uh, northern Alberta with some drugs one weekend and uh, had a really bad trip with uh, some magic mushrooms. And uh, so now this is three, four years later and she's incredibly engaged. She worked with us for a couple of years um, just because she saw actually a friend saw a poster that we had on campus and took a snap of it and sent it to her and she showed up and we said how, you know, in the middle of her questions, how, how do you want to get involved and, and wrestle through some of these things? Um, and now seeing her uh, do things around the world um, with a, and the energy and dynamism that actually uh, stimulates and excites the rest of our, our group uh, of, of a life that's been changed and is being changed and realizing that we're all on the way. And um, so I think that's been pretty exciting is to see uh, both the quiet and the dynamic ones uh, have opportunities to actually participate in something that's so much bigger than themselves. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of what keeps me going in campus ministries is seeing these young lives change. For me, I was the one who wandered <laughs> into a meeting. Uh, it was another campus ministry was doing a prayer meeting uh, in the morning and I don't always join other campus ministries necessarily, but I was just like, oh, I'll go to that and, and went to it. And it was just me and this other person in the cafeteria at McGill. And it was our first year there and she hadn't found a church family. So the church that we were a part of at the time invited her out and she just like very quickly became part of our family. And my wife was able to really walk with her and mentor her through some really difficult, difficult situations. Um, and uh, it was just like a miracle in a sense where we were able to just really like we eventually like baptized her as well, um, which was a really exciting experience. Um, and so, yeah, I was just like, it was a random like, hey, I should go join that prayer meeting. Like, I know those guys, we're all friends. Uh, I didn't join another another uh, prayer meeting <laughs> after that with them, but uh, the Lord just had allowed me, allowed me to come in to the student's life and just kind of like, uh, she became part of like our fa our family life pretty quickly, so it was just like a really cool uh, thing where it was just like an off chance. It's so many off chance conversations where like you just like, oh yeah, I'll go talk to that person, and then eventually it like changes the trajectory of so many different things. Um, it's yeah. Well, there's nothing more exhilarating and at simultaneously heartbreaking than uh, being involved in uh, the work of God in people's lives. And uh, I know that uh, all of you are uh, where you are uh, with very much a deep sense of, um, you know, it was actually uh, uh, an unseen hand that uh, nudged me and guided me to be where I am. And uh, so I want to thank all of you for, uh, for being on the podcast today. And we'll put connections to uh, all of your ministries in the show notes. Uh, unfortunately, in this um, powerfully, powerful and imperfect uh, medium known as the internet, uh, Millie uh, conked out. Uh, her uh, signal must have gotten eaten up by the Zoom monster. I don't know. 
but uh, whatever happened, she uh, was having trouble with her signal. And so unfortunately we didn't get to hear more from her today, but uh, there are so many uh, people that, uh, that share your, your heart and your burden. And uh, so glad to have this conversation with you today. And uh, maybe uh, in another couple of years, some of us can gather again and just talk about uh, how uh, in the post-COVID years, the, the open doors that God provided. So uh, thank you all for uh, being on today. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll look forward to getting this edited and out there for other people to hear your, your words of wisdom. You're all so wise. God bless you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with uh, such amazing campus workers from across Canada. Do you know that in the Serve Campus Network, it's a network of campus ministries, that across Canada, there are 225 countries represented at our university campuses. Did you know that there are 2.1 million students and 280 campuses? Well, there's a lot of good things going on, but there's certainly room for more. And if you're interested in establishing some ministry on university campuses, get in touch with me and I'll do my best to get you hooked up to, to some good options. On our next episode, uh, we're going to Montreal and I'm gonna be talking with Patty Miller, Cal and Chrissy Cron, and Jenna Smith. There are some amazing ministries happening in Montreal in the downtown core. And we're gonna hear about, uh, about some of those. And uh, you know, um, when we think about Jesus and the, the love that he had for his city, Jerusalem, he loved it so much that he wept over it. And uh, Jesus loves Jerusalem. Well, Jesus also loves Montreal. And I know that that's true because he's put some incredible people in that city who love Jesus with all their heart and love Montreal in an amazing way. So come back and join us for the next episode. Until then, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Keep one ear to the sky and one ear to the ground in your city. This is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.